Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS sound bites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Since 2001, Chile has implemented a national program to treat depression. According to data from this program, 90% of depression cases are solved in primary care health clinics. The current study provides evidence regarding variables associated with an increased depression severity in 394 patients who consulted primary care in Chile between February and September 2015. Within the sample, 91% had at least one psychiatric comorbidity, mainly an anxiety disorder. 82% of the sample reported at least one traumatic childhood event. 92.4% reported a negative stressful life event during the six months prior to the assessment. And 58.1% reported having experienced some form of intimate partner violence at some time in their life. Positive correlations were determined between greater severity of depression and greater frequency of depressive episodes, psychiatric comorbidities, and various types of adverse biographic events. Psychiatric comorbidity played the principal role in explaining depression severity, followed to a lesser extent by the number of childhood trauma events. This study provides evidence in the Chilean population regarding the clinical complexity of patients who seek help for depression in primary health care clinics. Within this complexity, the presence of psychiatric comorbidity associated with the biographical history of trauma become important factors for their influence on depressive symptom severity. This study was sponsored by the University of Talca, located in Talca, Chile. Although there is a large body of literature linking combat exposure to PTSD and other mental disorders in military veterans, these studies are often limited to veterans of certain war eras, and little research has examined physical health conditions associated with combat exposure. This study analyzed data from a contemporary, nationally representative sample of 1,480 U.S. veterans to evaluate the relation between combat exposure and a broad range of mental and physical health conditions. The authors of this CME article found that after adjustment for socio-demographic and military differences, combat veterans were more than three times as likely as non-combat veterans to screen positive for lifetime PTSD, were more than twice as likely to have current PTSD, and had 82% greater odds of screening positive for current generalized anxiety disorder. After additionally controlling for lifetime diagnoses of PTSD or depression, alcohol or drug use disorder, and nicotine dependence, combat veterans had 68% elevated odds of having attempted suicide, 85% elevated odds of being diagnosed with a stroke, and 38% elevated odds of being diagnosed with chronic pain. Younger combat veterans were more likely to screen positive for lifetime and current PTSD and suicidal ideation and to have been diagnosed with migraine headaches, while older combat veterans were more likely than younger combat veterans to have been diagnosed with heart disease and heart attack. 
These findings characterize the population-based mental and physical health burden of combat exposure and underscore the importance of age and condition-sensitive screening, monitoring, and treatment efforts in this population. The National Health and Resilience in Veterans Study is funded by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Preparation of this report was supported by the National Institute on Aging of the National Institutes of Health. The lack of awareness of binge eating disorder by primary care physicians or PCPs and inadequate physician-patient communication may result in its underdiagnosis. To aid in screening, the patient-reported 7-item binge eating disorder screener, BED-7, was developed. This report describes physician knowledge and attitudes about binge eating disorder and the value and ease of use of the BED-7 in clinical practice and PCPs serving adults and psychiatrists who responded to two web-based internet surveys. Of 550 respondents, 122 PCPs and 123 psychiatrists completed both internet surveys. Both groups reported spending more than 90% of their time providing direct patient care. Assessment of composite knowledge scores indicated that binge eating disorder knowledge was lower in PCPs than in psychiatrists. Comfort with diagnosing and treating binge eating disorder was also lower in PCPs. Based on Wave 2 responses, the BED-7 was used by 32% of PCPs and 26.8% of psychiatrists. All BED-7 users indicated the screener was a very or somewhat valuable assessment tool and nearly all users reported it was very or reasonably easy to use. BED-7 users reported that important uses of the screener included assisting clinicians in identifying binge eating disorder patients and encouraging and initiating doctor-patient discussions. These results support the utility of the BED-7 in clinical practice, with users reporting that it is a highly valued and easy-to-use screener. Furthermore, both PCPs serving adults and psychiatrists acknowledge the importance of being knowledgeable about binge eating disorder. This research was funded by Shire Development, LLC. Among many overweight people, bariatric surgery has become the preferred method to lose weight. But could psychological characteristics complicate the surgical management of obesity in these patients? This cross-sectional study was designed to answer this question. Participants included 105 Emirati patients in a bariatric clinic, 70% of whom were women. Assessment included clinical psychiatric interviews and the use of screening instruments, such as the Hospital Anxiety and Depression Scale, the Sheehan Disability Scale, the Body Image Quality of Life Inventory, and the Multidimensional Body Self-Relations Questionnaire. Results showed that frequency of anxiety among study participants was 24% with depressive symptoms affecting 13%. The frequency of perceived functional disabilities on work-school was 27%, on social life was 36%, on family home was 35%, and on religious duties was 39%. Anxiety and depressive symptoms positively correlated with functional impairment and negatively correlated with quality of life. 
In this study, anxiety, depression, perceived functional disability, impairment in quality of life, and disturbance of self-image were common in patients pursuing bariatric surgery for obesity. Both the recognition and treatment of these symptoms are expected to be conducive to the positive outcome of bariatric surgery. This study was supported by a grant from the United Arab Emirates University. Lorazidone is an atypical antipsychotic agent approved for the treatment of bipolar depression as monotherapy or adjunctive therapy with lithium or valparate. In this administrative claims database analysis of real-world use, the authors compared the background characteristics of 3,329 patients with bipolar disorder who were initiated on lorazidone or other atypical antipsychotics. A number of interesting treatment patterns emerged. First, lorazidone was found to be used more commonly by patients with bipolar depression and less commonly by patients with bipolar mania compared to patients treated with other atypical antipsychotics. This pattern of use was consistent with the FDA-approved indications for lorazidone. Second, Lorazidone was found to be initiated more often among patients with a history of more psychiatric medication use, more inpatient stays, and more outpatient visits, compared to patients treated with other atypical antipsychotics. Third, in addition to a more complex clinical profile, lorazidone-treated patients with bipolar disorder tended to have more medical comorbidities, including a history of diabetes or lipid disturbance compared to patients initiated with some other atypical antipsychotics. These patterns of treatment may have reflected the overall clinical profile of lorazidone. The role perceived for lorazidone in the therapeutic armamentarium by practitioners and the recent introduction of lorazidone into clinical practice during the study period. This research was funded by Synovian Pharmaceuticals, Inc. Patients with schizophrenia continue to suffer from increased cardiovascular mortality compared to the general population. These patients are often undertreated for their medical conditions, especially with regard to dyslipidemia. This article investigated the prevalence of statin-untreated patients with schizophrenia needing treatment according to the 2013 American College of Cardiology American Heart Association guidelines and compared their performance to the 2004 National Cholesterol Education Program Adult Treatment Panel 3 recommendations. This cross-sectional study used medical charts, patient interventions, and various anthropometric measures to determine dyslipidemia and risk for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in 329 patients with schizophrenia. Results showed that 48.6 of statin-untreated patients with schizophrenia would have indication for treatment according to the 2013 guidelines. This rate is lower if indication is based on the older guidelines from 2004. Although the results show the superiority of the 2013 American College of Cardiology American Heart Association guidelines over the 2004 National Cholesterol Education Program guidelines for detecting undiagnosed dyslipidemia, 
the absolute benefit or risk of a statin therapy, according to these guideline recommendations, remains unclear in this population of schizophrenic patients because the actual occurrence of cardiovascular disease or statin-related adverse events was not investigated in this study. Further studies are needed to evaluate the reduction in cardiovascular disease by a statin treatment according to both guidelines, and thus compare the actual benefit of statin assignment in schizophrenic patients. Pharmaline funded the laboratory tests. Despite the known dangers of cigarette smoking, many smokers do not use effective means for cessation. Smoking cessation guidelines recommend a variety of psychological and medicinal options that include nicotine replacement products, pharmaceuticals, and electronic cigarettes. This article describes these smoking cessation options and provides guidance for physicians. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to find numerous case reports on a variety of topics, such as the use of fish oil supplements in schizophrenia, depression and osteoporosis, and caffeine intolerance with long-term fluoxetine use. You can also read a new psychotherapy casebook article and browse interactive activities from our CME Institute. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings from our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites.